Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. On today's episode, we have Christopher. Christopher has done some really, really awesome stuff, including running a marathon his first day out of rehab. I can't wait to share his story so you can all hear how he's staying healthy, how he's staying fit, and how he's doing this one day at a time. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Christopher. How are we doing today? Oh, I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm going to start off by saying, first off, I'm a little jelly of your studio setup is way better than mine. You have like a whole office official studio. I'm clearing toys off a dining room table here. So <laughs> now, don't, no, hey, don't don't read too much into it. This is our guest bedroom. I, lo- I, I like it, though. It, it's the microphone. It's it's all about aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, it, it does portray a certain amount of, you know, professional. But uh, t- trust me, I'm faking it till I make it too, man. Hey, brother. And, uh, you know, I, I know the first thing our guests are thinking is, why are we starting off here right away? Why are we talking about studio equipment? Why does this guy have a studio set up for an interview? And we're going to get into that. That's going to get in the show. We're going to tell you why he has a full-blown studio set up, because Christopher is doing awesome things for the community as well. Um, but before we get there, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, pretty much everything without the uh, the negative alcohol and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I live in Northern Illinois with my wife and our two brilliant daughters, uh, and they are seven. So they're downstairs doing their e-learning thing right now. They're rocking that out. Um, I was a longtime journalist. I spent almost 15 years in the newspaper industry. I spent a year as a hockey broadcaster, which was fun for a minute. Um, but my last gig, you know, I kept taking promotions within a, a newspaper company. And I ended up being the editor here in DeKalb at the Daily Chronicle. So I did that up until a couple of years ago. Then, and, you know, just to allude to it, you know, I, I did, you know, rehab for alcoholism. Then I got out, I got a job in sales and did that until I got laid off because of the pandemic. And that gave me the opportunity to sort of launch myself into doing the advocacy stuff. I wrote a memoir that I'm still working on getting published uh, we started doing, you know, the podcast as well as, you know, a regular blog on my musings. And uh, yeah, no, it, it, it was really wild how being laid off, you know, might have been one of the best things for me because it gave me a chance to take on, you know, what's what's been a long time passion project of mine. I mean, I we have the similarities where I am a marathoner. My wife and I just signed up for our first 50K. You know, I've got a bunch of tools that help me in sobriety, but the, you know, the biggest one, well, the, really the biggest one is the accountability. Like you, I love putting my story out there and creating that community, but absolutely right up there with it is the fitness aspect. That's, sure. now, that's clutch. Before we get too much further though, and before we uh, pretty much start telling that part of the story and before we get into the fitness, um, we like to start off every episode and kind of um, take a backtrack and get to know Christopher and really where he came from and how he got to where he is um, with each and every guest. So why don't you tell us about um, about your childhood growing up, you know, all those normalcies, um, pretty much everything 
we, we want to hear up until the pretty much the day before you picked up your first drink or your first drug or pretty much the day the day before you did anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I was a late bloomer in terms of uh, in terms of alcohol. You know, I came from a very conservative background in northeastern Wisconsin. Um, you know, I played sports for a while, but I got to high school and it was a big high school and, you know, they had a lot of powerhouse teams. So I quickly realized that I was not a varsity athlete. So I became a total like choir dork. So you weren't going to be a Packer? Yeah, no, no, no. I, Hey, I wasn't going to be a Badger. I, you know, I wasn't going to be like a Laker at the local community college. Think, who's the hockey team up there? I'm not great with hockey. Is that the we, wild? Oh no, that's in Minnesota. We, oh. we do not have an NHL team in Wisconsin, which is absurd. How is, how it, like, I think of Wisconsin, I think of snow, like Lambeau is known for snow. How the hell do you guys not like, I mean, I call myself a Penguins fan, but truthfully of all the sports hockey, I know the least about. So, I mean, wow. I would mind blowing how you guys don't have a hockey team. That's insane. It, it is. It is. And uh, in Manitowoc, they just finally like resuscitated their youth hockey programs. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of us grew up, you know, skating at, at like the local park systems. And yet, yeah, no NHL team. It's, it's absurd. Oh, wow. So, so you knew you weren't going to be a badger. <laughs> yeah. So, so I got into, you know, my, my happy place was in music. Actually, my junior year of high school, we start, uh, me and some friends, we started up a band and we played together for like five years you know, we recorded a couple of albums and we played Summerfest in Milwaukee. We had a little success and it was really, I mean, like I was saying before, I really didn't touch alcohol until my late teen years. I was very, very straight laced. Like when I was a kid, I would, you know, I had kind of a passing fancy of being a pastor. Like I, I definitely felt that calling until, you know, I got to like my teen years. So, you know, my older brothers like absolutely tormented my parents. They were constantly in trouble and I was the youngest and I sort of was like the kid that, um, my parents were so grateful for because I never got into trouble. And I don't know how much that plays into the fact that when I finally turned it loose, like I turned it loose, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that happens for a lot of us. Cause I know I've even said as well, like I didn't pick up, I mean, I technically drank for the first time. I think uh, I was a teenager, like 16, but I could count on one hand how many times I was actually drunk before I was 21 because it just it really didn't appeal to me, especially because my dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict. So it really didn't appeal to me. Um, but I kind of I, I definitely um, I identify and I, I resonate with that whole feeling of like you didn't drink, you didn't drink, you didn't drink. And then for some reason, when you start, it's like you had like five, 10 years experience already. Like you just, like, you just like dive all the way in and you go from like my first beer to like a week later, you're like drunk six days in a row. And it's so weird. Well, it's funny that I know that from listening to, to your story, I know that was the case for you. Now in Wisconsin, especially Northeastern Wisconsin, like alcohol is just like the central thread of, of Northeastern Wisconsin culture. And it's funny for me, it was more so like I wanted to feel like I was in the club, like I felt the need to belong. So the first couple of years that I drank, I didn't like it. I, it was more of like me trying to fit into that mold. It was first like when the band was playing gigs and we were getting free drinks and I was, you know, getting, you know, 
Jack and Cokes because I couldn't stand the taste of beer. That's when it started to snowball. And a couple of years later, I started getting really, really good at drinking though. Like <laughs> it's like anything, it's like incremental. You, you build your way up from a 5k to a 10k to a marathon. Yeah, you're training. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's nuts. So by the time I leave Manitowoc and I go to school in Milwaukee, like I developed such a taste for beer. Like I'm hanging out with beer brewers and like we're crafting recipes and stuff like that to where like beer became such a huge part of my life. And Hey, I was in the club, man. Finally, I belonged, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's and, and, and again, I, I think, the craft beer scene, especially for guys our age as well, I think, um, and definitely not to like make excuses, make anything different, make anything easier or harder. But um, I know the craft beer scene specifically, um, I know for me at least made it a little bit more difficult because there were times where even, even when I knew I was an alcoholic, even when I know I have a problem, there were times where I had every intention to genuinely just drink one or two of these really good IPA and then just be responsible and stop. And I had every intention and I might've did that in public, but then when I got home, we all know that wasn't stopping. Right. Um, so at what point do you start to realize that it's actually becoming a problem? Does who, is it something you realize for yourself first or does someone have to say something to you or, you know, I mean, I knew that there was something wrong when I would wake up the following morning after binge drinking and there was the hangover component that everybody gets. But for me, there was like the emotional misery of just like feeling like, like a dumpster fire of a human being. And this would have been, you know, my late twenties and my early thirties. Cause I'd get up the next morning and my wife would have a list of stuff that she wanted to do and adventure she wanted to go on. And I just wasn't having any of it. So you know, I know that it was affecting our relationship. It, it was holding her back and I was feeling guilty about that. I have a long history of depression and anxiety. So I got right into like self-flagellation mode of always beating myself up. And, you know, during college, the other thing is I, I started smoking pot a lot and I developed the habit. Like I know that technically, like from a chemical perspective, marijuana isn't addictive. A lot of people maintain that. But for me, I got addicted to the sensation, the satisfaction of hiding it, of being able to exist in plain sight, like, you know, stoned and have nobody pick up on it. So I hid it from Kay I hid it from Kayla and she would find it and I'd feel terrible. So and I do and Kayla's the wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my wife. That's, that's my best friend and my saving grace. Shout out uh, Kayla. All of, I mean, I, and, and real quick, I'm going to stop here um, to just interrupt because without people like Kayla, uh, without people like Mallory, my wife, um, you know, without the support system, uh, you ladies rock um, and not just ladies, uh, you know, the husbands out there. Cause we interview women um, and, and you know, just whatever you are, our spouses, our significant others, um, that really hold us down when we are going through this, um, that person we can talk to, that person that a lot of times we are completely the most terrified to open up to, which we're going to get into because I just listened to that episode um, that you sent me earlier today and hearing him open up to his wife as well. Um, and it's just like that is it's it's the most terrifying thing. But again, huge, huge shout out to all of our support system, everybody that really holds us down. 
because without y'all, we, we really can't do this. We have to do this for ourselves, but without you holding us down the way you do, we don't stand a chance of making that happen. The family is so clutch and it's really hard because I mean, we've put them through hell, right? A hundred percent. And for them to have the emotional capacity and to love us in a way that they support us and that, you know, cause codependency is a real thing where, you know, people will enable others or they'll basically just write people, they'll, they'll write their loved ones off as like, this is just how they are. But tough love is an art form. In I could not agree with that more. So, you know, Kayla holding my feet to the fire and demanding that I change was, was everything. Now, if you don't mind me asking, did she give you, did she give you an ultimatum? No. Okay. No, no. And honestly, in hindsight, I kind of wish, <laughs> look, I wouldn't change a thing because of where we are now. But there's a certain amount of looking back and, and being like, man, you just, you let me beat the snot out of you emotionally. And you continue to give me a pass. You should have given me an ultimatum at some point. And you're a saint that you didn't. I, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. Cause my wife, again, same situation. And I, I don't want to speak for you. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head that like, it's cool the way it happened because everything has happened for a reason. We're here where we are. And I wouldn't want to change that. Um, but my, I guess if, if there is one slight regret, I just kind of wish I would have almost been given an ultimatum a little bit sooner. That's the only thing is that I just wish I would have found it sooner just so I could stop putting her through that hell. Yeah. And, you know, I love how you say that it's a, a very small regret because re regrets are kind of unproductive if, if we, you know, if we spend time like beating ourselves up for things. But yeah, I, I can definitely look back and say, yeah, I, I definitely regret doing that. So um, but so Kayla would find empties occasionally. I mean, it was really when things got bad was about five or six years ago uh, when I started realizing that I could drink on the job and get away with it. And which that job was this at the time? I was working as, well, first off, it was when I was working as an assistant sports editor at a newspaper. Okay. So I'd be on my way to a game. And I would, and I would drink and then on the way I'd stop at a bar and file my story. And then I'd drink on the way back. Um, and then, yeah, just basically, you know, I, I got on the news side and I was working as a news editor and it would continue. And this wasn't initially like getting like lambasted drunk. It was just sort of like a little something to get me through the afternoon. Well, if I was like starting a fire, then by the time that I took the promotion and came out here to be the editor, like I, I was a fully involved house fire. And I, I knew I saw the red flags of taking the promotion because I was happy where I was. But, you know, in the corporate world, you know, in the rat race, we're always trying to grab that next rung. We're always trying to get a little bit more authority and a little more money. So I came out here and it was bad. Um, it was really toxic. Uh, the, the work atmosphere was toxic and I was covering the courthouse. So I was covering anything from like murder trials to shaken baby cases and stuff. And, wow. and I'm a very empathetic person. So I, I take, I like, I have, I was just, I was just saying this the other day, I have very thin skin. 
And I'm cool with that because that's how I'm wired. But because of that, like all of these little traumas, like all these court records that I was reading through all these horrible things, it got to me. So I just continued to drink more and more and numb that stuff. And then, so I drink my way through the day and I'd get home and I'd fake it in front of Kale. Like I hadn't been drinking all day. Like that's the sort of like next level ninja shit that I was doing. And the funny part is, isn't it crazy how like we convince ourselves that they don't know and they somehow, so I don't know if they play dumb or they're letting us believe it, but we'll like go to bed that night and we'll wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, she didn't know I was drunk. And then she's probably thinking like, does he really not know? I was like, <laughs> does he, how stupid does he think I am? But it's crazy how like we really convince ourselves of this. Oh yeah, we normalize it. You know, like Corey said in the interview, you mentioned that we, we can normalize anything. Um, but so I would, you know, I'd clear out the car of all the empty cans and I'd come home and I'd, you know, I'd go to bed at night and I'd wake up two hours later with night sweats and just wanting to vanish. And then sometimes I'd wake up in such a paranoid state that I would go back outside just to double check that I'd thrown out all the cans because I could not bear the idea of being caught. Um, so I get up the next morning and like, I might get like a, a Google Hangouts message from my wife. And the moment I'd see that, like, I would just sweat because it'd be like, oh my God, did she, did she find me out again? Um, and it's funny because like still to this day, well, and not so much anymore, but it's like just seeing that little icon, that little notification was like traumatizing. It's, it's ridiculous. But so it all came to a head in March of 2019 when I had... You know, I was drinking my way through the workday and finally one Friday afternoon, you know, I was half in the bag and something happened in the office and I just snapped and I walked out, I bought a 12 pack. I parked just off the road near the local airport. And I just said, I'm just going to keep drinking these until I disappear. And I got through a few of them. And to be honest, I don't know what led me to do so, but I messaged Kayla. I said, I need you to pick me up. I'm drunk. I don't want to die. I need your help. So she calls my therapist who recommends that I go, you know, that I get a, that I go to the ER. So we come home, I pack a bag, she take, or, and I catch an ambulance ride to the hospital and I'm in the uh, ambulance and I'm thrashing. I'm pissed. I'm, I'm saying that God, I, I think my life is over. And I'll never forget, despite how drunk I was, I vividly remember one of the EMTs saying, you know what, maybe life as you know it is over. You know, maybe that's okay. 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 It, EMTs dropping knowledge in there. It's silly, isn't it? Wow. Well, I mean, but I mean, they, think they've of- They've seen it all. The, exactly. Like they've seen hundreds of guys like me in that position. But yeah, I mean, and, and I hope that guy realizes that that message was- huge in terms of telling me that I can tear it down to the studs and build myself back up again. So I spend a few hours in the ER getting, uh, you know, sobering up a social worker comes in with some materials on treatment. And this is what's so jacked up, at least here in the state of Illinois is they cannot take you directly from the hospital to treatment. So I get discharged at three in the I know you said it's okay at three in the fucking morning. (laughs) 
And they're like, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And so I get my bag and I'm like, I'm not going to like message Kayla in the middle of the night. Like the girls are upstairs sleeping. So I take my bag and I was, I'm like walking around the parking lot. It's a two mile walk home, th- maybe three. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't. So I message Kayla. She packs up the girls. She comes and picks me up. But I mean, it's so silly that like, there I am with these materials for treatment ready to go. And yet I couldn't do it. Like it was still on me to do it the next day. You know what I mean? It's that can be a lot to stew in. I mean, I I was never in that position, but I can only imagine that's gotta be like a really, really tough few hours as well. Like even just getting to that next point of just trying to hold on. Um, But again, at least you weren't alone and you had Kayla there with you. I did. And it was the next morning at like seven 30 that she wakes me up. And of course I feel like hell. And you know, we sat on the edge of the bed and I told her, I was like, honey, I was like, I cannot go back to that job. I was like, I like it. That's not working for me anymore. And I had convinced myself that that was it for me, that like I was stuck in this job. I was stuck in this, this house fire that I was living in. And she said to me plainly, she was like, then you're never going back. And at that moment, like all the weight came off and I was like, okay, I can do the work. I picked up the phone, called treatment set up like an intake interview, called the people I love most and told them, look, guys, I've, I'm a, I'm an alcoholic. This is what's been going on. Is this what month and year? This is March 23rd of 2019. So this is two, this is two days before I check into treatment because it turns out they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get me a bed until that Monday, the 25th. But so I'm laying my cards on the table with my family, my closest friends. And with all of them, I'm being met with the message of, God damn, man. I'm so sorry. We need to get you some help because we need to get you right again. And that went a huge way. That's again, that support system that we're talking about. And here's something that's cool that happened is that all, all my life I've, you ever go to the doctor's office and you're not feeling right. And you're like, please just find out what the hell's wrong with me so that you can prescribe something. It's like, please just find something. Don't, don't tell me you can't figure it out. Just diagnose something. Yes. So for me, that was mental illness all my life. And for me, that was like me constantly questioning it or like justifying, like, no, I'm not an alcoholic. This isn't like full fledged addiction. I'm on the phone with one of the counselors at gateway foundation here in Northern Illinois. Got to give them a plug. Cause they're awesome. And I'm telling the guy my story and he starts laughing I'm like, oh my fucking God, he doesn't believe me. He's going to tell me there's nothing wrong with me and I don't have to go. So I just asked him, I was like, why are you laughing? And he was like, man, I have no idea how you've been getting away with this. And it was the realization that it was like, he gets it. They're going to let me in. Because I was honestly thinking that he was going to, that they were going to say that my problems were too small because I didn't have the Hollywood rock bottom. I didn't crash my car, hurt anybody, lose my job. Like to me, that was like what, that was like the prerequisite to get help. You know what I mean? If you want to say the name of that place one more time, if we have any listeners in that area, they know a door they can go knock on. They're everywhere in Illinois. And frankly, if you call them and you're not in Illinois, they're going to help you. It's Gateway Foundation. You can go to gatewayfoundation.org. They are 
it, they're extraordinary. They support my show. They actually like sponsor my show, which is just silly. It's awesome. Um, they look, these rehab facilities are up against it, man, between state funding. I mean, they're stretched so thin and yet they do a kick-ass job and they help get me on the straight and narrow. It's unbelievable what they make happen with what little they have. Yeah. Um, I'm currently talking and working with someone who is involved in a, in a center as well. And, um, uh, they're becoming the, the first recipient for the fundraisers we're doing on behalf of the page, because I also found out it's, it's unbelievable how much they have to do. And again, how little they have to do it with, um, and how much they try and stretch to make that happen for these people to just impact their lives. And it's unbelievable. So again, shout out to everybody out there doing this. Um, cause gateway is just one name. There's so many companies out there that are no different in your hometown. Um, so shout out. And if you can find a way to help them go do it. Google it. Just Google alcohol assessment. And it's not uh, even about money. Sometimes you can just give time, go talk to people. There's, there's so many things you can do that aren't even about money. So just, if, if you have the time, just Google, Google your local center and see how you can help. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, if, if you have like even the inkling that you have a problem, you and I both know you probably do, whether it's alcohol, drugs, anger management, whatever it is, mental illness. So you know, just Google alcohol assessment and odds are you're going to be able to get an assessment for very cheap. It's like, what the hell do you have to lose? True that. So, so yeah, I do the treatment thing. And so now we're at, so, so what, so you knock on their, you're, you're pretty much at their door. They're letting you in. Um, and, and I know that there's a little bit more time between things here just because we chopped it up a little bit before this started. Um, so I know there's a little bit more to the story coming in. In terms of the marathon, you mean? No, 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 no. I mean, because this is March and I know that our magical day is until May. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Cover here. Well, I spent two weeks in treatment and I had been training for a marathon for the past like 16 weeks. And frankly, my Sunday runs, my 10, 12, 15, 17 mile runs were like the way that like, I felt like I was flushing all the toxins out of my system. So I'm training for the marathon and, you know, every Monday morning I'd be like, okay, I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow by lunch. I was drunk again. So while I'm in treatment, I continue to like get up at five, five 30 in the morning, put in my miles and, you know, try to just keep up the regimen. The day after I got out of treatment, I ran a marathon. Hence why the memoir I started writing that afternoon is called 40,000 steps. Gotcha. So I just want to confirm that I understand this. So you pretty much went through the entire training cycle. You were drinking the entire training cycle and then ran the marathon the day after getting out of treatment. Am I understanding that correctly? Correct. Amundo. Okay. So, <laughs> so essentially running the marathon was the only day you weren't hung over. Well, and the time and treatment, of course, too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, it, it's, oh, it's wild checking into rehab where like they search like every, that they'll turn your shoes inside out. You know, they check every orifice to make sure that you're not bringing in drugs or alcohol. So, so yeah, I mean th those 12 days sober, uh, 12, 13, 14 days sober were huge. And then, yeah, I, I run the marathon, which was a, an incredibly cathartic experience. And it really, that's, that's the memoirs, like the, uh, the parallel narratives between recovery and running a race. So, um, and that afternoon I sit down and I start journaling, which I immediately realized it's like, okay, I'm writing a memoir here. And over the next few weeks, I, I, you know, I'm looking for work 
And I eventually find a job with a local landscaping company and I'm pumped. It's like, you know, no longer like, you know, writing stories and like grinding through journalism. It's like, I just want to like work with plants, man. I just want to like help like landscape somebody's yard, do some manual labor. It's like, that sounds really awesome right now. Well, I was on the job for a few days and I immediately realized that the owner, you know, he's got this like public, you know, facade of being this nice, warm and awesome guy. Well, it turns out he's like a dirty old man and he was like sexually harassing employees and just, just being a gross human being. Oh, that's terrible. So guess what I do? I start drinking again. Oh man. And so that went on for a little bit. And finally, I mean, finally it's stuck on May 21st. And a couple of days after that, I got an awesome job that spoke to my soul, uh, actually like selling swag for races, like medals and shirts and stuff like that. It was, it was great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was tough because, you know, I relapsed and it's like, I'm in it all over again. It's like, oh my God, what the hell is wrong with me? That's absolutely in that's, that's just insane. Um, and it's, it's crazy to think about. And, um, we're now and I'm, I'm going to pretty much get into the next part, which I think this is a funny little segue, but like one thing that's like sticking on my brain and I still can't like, I can't process, I, I guess I can process, but it's just hilarious. Almost looking back is again, the whole marathon training cycle. And it's, it's, it's like blowing my mind because at the end, so when you train for 16 weeks on a marathon cycle, anybody who knows anything about training knows that that last week or two, that last 12 to 13 to 14 days is your tapering time. Time to yeah. relax, eat pasta, carb load, make sure you have everything you need. You're all good. And you're literally tapering. You're taping in a, in a facility. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, if you, I can't think of a, of a healthier way to taper, but yet almost dangerous because I mean, you're supposed to somewhat healthy carbo load, but you probably ate everything in sight like if there was a way to look back and i don't know maybe you already did this you i'm gonna go on a limb and say you probably gained more weight than anybody well actually no i take it back because you weren't drinking during that time if it other than the drinking i was gonna say you would have probably gained more weight than anybody in any taper ever because i can only imagine like quitting drinking like when i quit drinking like that first week or two i think i literally ate every bite of food i had in sight you add that into my runner's uh hunger and oh my god that too <laughs> no. i wouldn't have even been able to run you you're spot on you're absolutely spot on hey why did you eat so much was it because you were no longer like trying to drink on an empty stomach did you have that i i, I don't i don't know what it was um i don't know if it was some type of oral fixation i don't know if it was just like um i really want to drink right now so let me just like put something in my mouth um, mm. yeah, that, 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 that was a, that's what she said. I'm just going to call myself out on it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's just like, I, I really don't know what it is, what it was. Cause I'm, I'm not a doctor. I know that I like to eat a lot as it is. And I know when I quit drinking, it got worse when I run, it gets worse. And if those two things happen at the same time in the middle of a peak training cycle, um, I gained four pounds on my last taper. I'd be afraid to see what happened if I did that at that. Yeah, no, it's, it's so fun talking with you about this because, because you have the understanding of a training cycle. And usually when guys go to treatment, they put on like 10 or 15 pounds and I put on, I, I, I think I put on just about 10 pounds. You're absolutely right. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And part of this is the fact that let me give gateway another plug. The food is awesome. How often <laughs> do you hear that? No, it's not because you have this immediate impression of that. It's going to be like prison food, right? Um, 
And I mean, like, yeah, breakfast was nothing spectacular. You know, it was it was hard boiled eggs. Um, it was like, you know, the sort of sandwiches that you get at a gas station, stuff like that. But when you're not used to eating breakfast, when you're used to like passing over breakfast because you, you, you rather drink your breakfast, it was awesome. Like, I remember like putting like the salt and pepper on the egg and being like, I'm going to eat the shit out of this egg. This is going to be awesome. I'm not going to lie. You're making me hungry for an hard boiled <laughs> egg. Now I'm like one of the few weirdos that like actually like. I usually like hard boil a carton of eggs at a time. And like, there's always hard boiled eggs in my fridge. Yeah. I feel you a game recognized game, man. <laughs> so um, we're going to get into at So we got, we're, we're at the point of your sober. We know how you got sober. Um, shortly before we get into your uh, fitness journey, I do want to talk about, so I, I know you went to gateway um, after gateway. And for the last uh, 22, 23 months or so, um, and I want to stress this part extremely because I do on every single episode. Um, not everybody's pathway is going to work for you. And when I say you, I mean to the listener um, listening to this episode right now. What worked for Christopher may not work for you. What worked for me may not work for you. Um, same for the last episode. Um, but with that being in mind, these are just suggestions. This is experience, strength, and hope. This is what worked for us. We're not telling you to go do this. We're just saying what worked for us. So if you hear it, it sounds like something that may work. Cool. Go out and give it a shot. There are so many, so many ways. Neither of us are doctors. Neither of us do this for a living. Um, we're, we're just trying to share our experience. So with that being said, after Gateway, um, for the last year, uh, almost two years, what has really been helping you stay sober? Aside from running um, and, and anything fitness related, are there any programs or any rooms that you're finding yourself in? Well, <sighs> I'm so glad that you say that because I, I think the key for anybody in recovery is to not try to force a circular peg into a square hole. So you're right. There is no one silver bullet. I think what folks need to do is they need to find what, uh, what feeds their soul, what makes them happy and nurture that. I think that a lot of folks can be like, honey, you're going to church this Sunday and every Sunday, you know, we're going to, we're going to guide you up. We're going to, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, religion is going to save you. Hey, yeah. For a lot of folks, that's it. I had a reunion with God in treatment. He and I have a much better relationship now, but for me, that's just one component of my program. I, I commend people. I look AA helps millions upon millions of people. And for very, very good reason. I had a bad experience with kind of a militant sponsorship uh, tree here in DeKalb. And that was another thing that sort of fed into my relapse after treatment. That said, I love dropping in on an occasional meeting. Actually, what I, the program that I really love is smart recovery. You're and the, actually the second and I want to say second in a row, if not two out of the last three interviews I did specifically shouted out smart. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's, especially if you're looking for them for more of a secular approach, um, as well as what I love about it the most is it's more like forum based. So you're in a room with folks and you're bouncing ideas off each other and talking about tools. Um, so it's really like live response. You know what I mean? So for me, that made a lot of sense. And I love those meetings. Um, the other components, one of the big things is documenting. For me, that's like journaling and writing. Uh, I love mindfulness and meditation. 
uh, you know, deep breathing, finding little pockets of my day to, to meditate, even if it's just sitting at a traffic light, that's huge for me kind of grounding myself in the moment. Um, therapy and medicate and medication is huge for me because one of the things that gave me such a relief in treatment was the realization that there's a case to be made for my alcoholism being the symptom of my mental illness, because I was spending so many years numbing my sadness with alcohol, numbing my anxiety and my racing thoughts with alcohol. So regularly seeing a counselor, taking my three pills every day, it, it's, it's a huge part of my program. And then Sorry, did you have something else? Yeah. I know oh it's okay. I, 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 uh, a lot of folks have been asking me why it finally stuck for me. It being sobriety, having the new job was great. Trying some things out, finding that right combination of things was awesome. What really made it stick though, was I got a hundred days into my sobriety and this is exactly what you said. This is not for everybody. But for it, it's for some people, I blasted my story out there and doing that gave me like all the accountability I could possibly want. Cause it's like all of a sudden, okay, shit, the world knows that I'm a recovering alcoholic. Yes, yes, yes. You hit the nail on the fucking head there. I love <laughs> it. That's, that's so true. That's so, I said this, my wife said to me when I, when I created the Facebook page, and I started doing this and I started doing the podcast. She goes, you know, you went further than just telling people that you're an alcoholic now. Right. Like, you know, you really can't drink now. And like, you're, you'll like, you did way too much for the sober community. Like you really know you like, you can't look back now. And I was like, yeah, that's part of the plan. Like, I, I know that like, I'm, I'm late, I'm, I'm right here. Like I keep walking forward. And I, yeah, it, the accountability is so huge. Once you put it out there, it's everyone knows you can't hide it anymore. Well, then I'm sure that you've experienced it is once you put it out there, all these folks from your past start like trickling in from the woodwork and saying, Hey man, I had no idea. I'm glad that you're, you're doing great. That's awesome. Then you have the person who says, Hey man, I saw your message. I'm struggling. Um, what can you tell me? Or most often it's dude, my cousin, my friend is in it what can I do for them? And that's, yeah, there's the accountability factor, but then there's the validation of the fact that like all the shit that we went through and all the stuff we put people through, we're able to leverage it and, 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 and make the world a slightly better place. Right. I agree. I agree. That's you, you hit spot on there. Um, now we're gonna, we're gonna segue here and now, and all definitely all puns intended with this one. So you have those thoughts racing through your head, and so you race through 40,000 steps. Um, why don't you, why don't you tell us what 40,000 steps means to you? Yeah. I mean, on your Fitbit or at least on mine, because I'm not an elite runner, it's a marathon. Um, now, I did. I, I do want to, I do want to, cause I know people are going to do this. Um, only cause I know how my brain works. I Googled it right here while we were talking. Um, cause I was genuinely curious and I typed in how many steps in a marathon. Um, and the answer I got was 55,000. Okay. Um, however, again, that's based off of, I think that was a five foot seven male. Um, and you might be a little bit taller than that. So that's going to make a lot of sense. So for any of you nerds out there that want to fact check, <laughs> you're probably going to get a different answer. 
So to clarify, what Christopher said was when he looked at his Fitbit at the end of a marathon, he had 40,000 steps. Well, and if you were to fact check me, it was really 41,000 and change. Oh, so so extra boss, the 40,000 has a really cool ring to it. it. It does. And, you know, I, I look around at like all, you know, other, um, I have a certain amount of envy for the folks who like the word sober is in their podcast name. Cause it's like, there's nobody's going to mistake what you're doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of puns. I'm a big fan of, you know, clever stuff and kind of making people like see something be for it to pique their interest and for them to go looking for what it means. And to me, it's like, you have your 12 step program. For me, I had a 40,000 step program. Um, so yeah. And, and I think, you know, I'm five foot nine to, to, just to clarify. And a lot of it also has to do with pace. You know what I mean? Yes. So I took 12 minutes off my PR that day, which I, I can Ooh. just, I can completely let's just hear numbers. We're talking running now. So let's hear the numbers. <laughs> well, where did 12 minutes go? Where was it? Where is it? Uh, it, it was at four Oh seven, four hours and seven minutes. Woo! And I got it down to three fifty five. Oh, so you in that sub four club. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Oh, isn't it wild? Man, that's beautiful. <laughs> I just tried to get there last, uh, about two weeks ago. I tried to get there. Um, unofficially I'm there officially i'm not i don't care i i did bad tangents i got 358.51 or three yeah 358.51 unofficially but for the race i got four hour and 23 because i really ran a 26.4 okay all right no i i'm got me no i i got you i got you you're in the club man we're in the club together (laughs) i know i have it in me i i covered no one can take i covered 26.2 so now my next goal is to just run it in the race form yeah dude that's so that's so ball. So you took 12 minutes from 307 to, or uh, from 407 to 355, dude, that's, that's huge. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I know how hard it is to take 12 minutes off a of marathon time, especially when you start getting in that four hour range, taking two, three, four minutes off, it becomes so hard. It's like a whole new race in itself just to get a few minutes at that point. Oh, without a doubt. And I'm sure you've played the game too, where you get into like mile 19, 20, you hit the wall. And you've been on pace to do like 345. And then you start hearing um, average pace 1035 per mile. And it's like, oh shit, I'm losing it. Um, And then you have what happens, at least for me too, it was like I had three goals in mind. Um, So then what happened is like you said, I was on pace and I was like crushing goal. And I think like 345 is exactly where I was on pace. And then I started negotiating with myself. Well, it's like, all right, well, I can do this mile at this point. And then I can still reel in a 350. And then you get to that point and then you're at mile 22. And it's like, all right, well, if I do this mile at this point, I can still get a 355. And then you're like, all right, well, my PR is 430. So fuck it. If I get 410, who gives a shit? It's still a PR. <laughs> oh my God, you dude. Like, you keep that, that last six miles is a whole different race of renegotiation. It's, it's so wild. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad to hear this because like, it's good to know that I'm not the only batshit crazy person who like runs the stats and crunches the numbers. A hundred percent. We're psycho. We are psycho. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's funny though. Like I can attribute finishing the race in, in strong fashion to the fact that one of the best things I learned in treatment is, is the halt method in that you never want to get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And that, and that when you do, you know, that you sort of acknowledge them. So, you know, I'm taking my honey stingers. So, I mean, I'm, 
yeah, I'm hungry, but, but I'm doing everything I can in that way. Um, am I angry out there? I'm like, you know, a little bit, like I was pissed off because, and look, I, I, I hate to, uh, I hate to like overblow this, but this was a big thing that I got about eight miles into the marathon and I never get cramps. I got a cramp in my left calf and I hit the medical tent, got the electrolyte wafers, had it like massaged out, went back out and a half mile later, it's barking at me again. So I, I dealt with that, that damn injury, the entire marathon. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We're going to back up again. <laughs> so you're cramping. <laughs> You're running through pain. Yeah. You stop in the medical tent. Yeah. Never done that before. And you still clip a 355 and take 12 minutes off your PR. No, I was only in the medical tent for like a minute and a half. I but... don't care. <laughs> stop in the middle of the race. And... Eight, mi eight miles in. Oh, my God. And, and, you know, too, and those are the things, too. I don't know. At the end of the race, did you feel like? Shit. Even if I like, regardless of the cramping, like did that minute and a half haunt you? Did it bother you at that point? At that point? No. After, after like you're completely healed and recovered. Sorry. We cut. So after, you're uh, after the full minute and recovered, like, is it, is that, is that time eating at you? And I only asked because I had to take a bathroom break. Um, and it was a number two. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming like when I was like, it was like a good, if you look at, it's funny too. Cause if you actually look at my marathon, um, on Strava, it's like nine minute pace, nine and a half, nine forty five, and then there's like this eleven and a half minute mile, and yeah, it's because I was in the porter potty, and it like, and then you talk about too, like I said, unofficially, I missed it by one minute, and I probably spent two minutes in there, um, so that that haunted me and during the race. I didn't care, I didn't give a shit, no pun intended. Yeah, um, yeah. But afterwards, like the next day, it ate at me. Like, did that bother you, or because you were already in sub four, did you not care? I finished 355 flat to, to do the spoiler alert. So when I was going through my renegotiation, uh, it was 350. And then eventually by like mile 23 or 24, I was like, fuck, I just have to finish sub four. It was like, okay. that's, that's what it's gotta 350, be. That was, that was a goal. Um, 345 was the original goal. And then it became 350. And then, um, and then, yeah, three, uh, 355 was still realistic at like mile 23 or 24. And then it became, yeah, I just need to finish sub four. So the fact that it was 355 flat, I, I was elated with it. I still am. So no, to be honest, I, it, it, I don't, it doesn't haunt me at all. Um, and now bear in mind, I know that it sounds absurd to want to take 22 minutes off of your PR, but I mean, all the other marathons that I'd ever run, you know, I was... I was, you know, I was not in good shape for those marathons because I was, you know, I was, I was such a dumpster fire physically because I was drinking all the time. Um, the nights before the races, I'd have a couple too many. And so um, there was no reason that I couldn't take off 12 minutes that day. In fact, I would have been pissed off if I didn't, because it was my opportunity to say to myself, look, this is who you are. Here's what you're capable of. So and I don't, I, I think everybody listening to this too, especially if you're an experienced runner. Um, I, I know myself, I'm like, shit, Christopher needs to sign up for another race because there's no doubt that you have a 350 in you. Right? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. And then you said you're 41, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is a goal of yours. I don't know if I'm just throwing shit in your head, but no, you're right. Are you, I know are you, are you aware you're like 
15, maybe 20 minutes away from BQ right now. No, it's more like half an hour. Is it, is it three, isn't it three 30 for a over 40 mil? No, I think it's, it's three 20. I think oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I was just listening to uh, someone else's podcast yesterday. And sorry, they were talking about 42 year old female. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know, man. Uh, yeah. I I'd make a sexy chick. I could, I could give it a try. Oh, trust me. I listen, I I'll put this out there. I would run a race in a sports bra. <laughs> pick the outfit. I'll run the race in it if it means that, like, if if like thirty three year old, like, if you convert it to thirty three year old woman time, and I I totally want to clarify, I'm not yes fun of women. I'm not saying they are less of athletes. I'm not even making a slight joke in that regards because I'm not the one that comes up with the BQ times. I'm just saying that there is no denying the fact that a man and a woman's qualifying time, according to Boston are different. That's all I'm saying. It has, I'm not putting anything on the competitive level. I'm just saying that a man 33 and a woman 33 each need two different times to qualify for Boston. So with that being said, in that clarification, I'll wear whatever the hell I got on the course. <laughs> if you jump my qualifying time from a sub three to a three twenty or whatever it is for a 33 year old female, I'll, you pick the outfit and I'll run it. I don't give a shit. I just want to get to Boston. I love it, man. I love it. Same, same. So is that, is that a goal? Is, is Boston a goal for you? Oh, of course. I mean, I, I think it, I think it has to be because we all need to be like driving towards something. Um, and I'll sort of make the analogy when it comes to recovery and one day at a time. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case, but that doesn't mean that my eyes aren't on May 21st. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. absolutely. It's like, so it's like, yeah, every four or five mile run, I'm going to go out there and enjoy that run. The fact that I can run that day and I can enjoy that, but hell yeah. I mean, why not? You know, why, why not shoot high? For sure. For sure. Now I, kn I know we're going back and forth and we'll probably continue doing this for the next 20 minutes or so until this episode is over. Um, <laughs> but jumping now back into the podcast a little bit, which I specifically want to talk about. It's a really, really cool, um, podcast, um, I don't have too much experience with it yet to just be completely honest. Um, it was just brought to my attention this week. Um, I did catch that episode you told me about yesterday uh, with, I believe his name is Corey. I don't Yeah. Corey Harrington. He's a oh, beast. Corey Harrington. Um, yes. Uh, definitely shout out. Um, you know, if, 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 if Corey ends up listening to this and you want to be on this podcast as well and reshare that story, absolutely brother. Um, but anyway, it was, it was just, it was really cool. And, and again, I'll be completely honest. I'm actually, I had the pause button hit on that. I have to finish it um, because I got so into it that it became one of those things. I couldn't just let it play in the backdrop while I was tending to um, my son. It was something I had to hit the pause button. Cause like I found myself kept rewinding 15 seconds to re to, to rehear what he said. And like I said, I actually, I'm specifically at the point. Um, he just flew home. He just told his brother, listen, if you don't hear from me by 9 p.m., I need you to call my wife and tell her to talk to me. Um, and he's sitting down there and he pretty much just broke the news to his wife. And that's where I said, like, I kept having to rewind. And I was like, man, I need to listen to this. And I'm getting the chills right now as well. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm pretty much probably in all honesty, as soon as we're done recording this episode, I'm probably going to hit that play button and uh finish it. Um, but it is just it's it's super spot on. And and before we get into the to that story and before I let you touch on that and what that meant to you even recording, um, I just want to talk about like the podcast itself. And again, I, I only have 30 minutes that I listen to, but the uh, the quality, the sound production, it's unbelievable. Like the second you start talking, 
Um, this is before I knew that you did NHL announcing or I mean, a uh, hockey announcing and, and you're doing any of that. And you just like, you literally just sound like you have like a voice for radio or for hosting or like just the way you talk. It's just like this guy writes or he does something. It's just like, you sound like you belong doing that. Like oh, aside from the topic, like it just, it sounds like you belong. I mean, even in this interview, it's just like, you have one of those voices. It's <laughs> kind of have that, like if people could see, you almost kind of have that look to you in like your studio setup. I almost feel like I'm watching YouTube, watching someone else's podcast interview and whatnot. It's, it's pretty cool. You just, you just like almost embody that image of what like a podcaster or a host should be. And it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Um, and the quality of your show really speaks to it. Um, and it, it was just, it's, it's a blast to get in there and I'm probably going to find myself binging uh, the rest of the episodes and I can't wait to see where it continues going, but why don't you tell us now, um, now that I'm rambling, tell us uh, specifically what the podcast means to you. Um, and I know you said why you started it, but like, what do you get out of these interviews? Cause I know what I get talking to you people here when I do these interviews and it's unbelievable. And the last thing I'll say is um, I did an interview earlier this week and the woman said something that hit me so hard that I had to make it to my first meeting in months. Um, and I went to a meeting yesterday because of it. So I know that like every time I do an interview, someone says something that really hits me and it's more than just producing something for other people to listen. I learned something from each and every one of you. So do you, do you get that when you do these interviews? Like what, like, I don't know. I feel like you guys are helping me stay sober just as much as I'm getting a message out for other people. Oh, without a doubt. And that's, that's why, and it's very flattering. Uh, everything you're saying, it's very humbling and, and, uh, you know, right back at you, brother. I, I, I love your style as well. I, I love the way that you connect with people and the way that you share a story. So, um, yeah, I mean, I am a little bit more like classically trained in terms of, you know, the fact that I was a music education major and that I was a broadcast major and that I've had a lot of experience in this realm, but in terms of, you know, what it does for me, um, I, uh, yeah, I am, this is a, this is a big part of my program. Um, the, the honesty and the processing that comes with it. Um, typically when I'm really in it, whether it's interviewing somebody or if it's, you know, addressing a specific topic, um, one of the things that comes with the territory is I usually have dreams about using, and it's hard for me to separate the dream from the reality. So that's hard, but I also look at that as, you know, as part of my recovery as well. So, yeah, I mean, this stuff is really, really personal. And, you know, that's where kind of speaking to what you were saying before, it's we're all keeping each other um, on the righteous path, you know, on the straight and narrow. And because of that, you know, it first occurred to me maybe like three or four weeks ago that it was like, I need to start connecting with these other podcasters because to me, like, like conventional logic might be, might be that we're competitors. And I think it's the very opposite. I think we're collaborators. I, yeah. I was, I was disagreeing to the first part and agreeing to the second part. Yeah. We, I, I personally see zero competition because um, I don't know. And, and to be quite frankly, I'm not making any money off this <laughs> right. any sponsors on it. I mean, this will be, this is probably uh, I have my 18th episode coming out today today or tomorrow by time your episode comes out you'll be like number 21 or 22 on this i literally haven't made a single penny off this podcast i'm i've lost money in the aspect of 
um, buying equipment. Like I told you, I've left equipment at a live interview two hours away. And it was like the equipment cost just enough money to suck, but not enough to make it worth putting these people out to ship it to me. So I'm just hoping I have that as like backup equipment when I eventually make it there. Um, and I'm not saying that to complain. I'm not saying that to vent. Um, if, if any listeners out there, if you want to contribute to the podcast, I do have PayPal. Um, and I won't, I won't get mad at you for that. And I'm sure Christopher does as well. And we'll put links and you can support either podcast. You can support people. Um, but you know, and, and, and again, I wasn't saying that to complain, but it's like, I'm not doing this for the money I'm doing this right. for the message. And I guess selfishly, if we're being honest too, I'm also doing this for myself because again, it helps me stay sober. This is yep. and all right. I can't make it to a meeting today. Um, and, and, you know, we can make excuses and I can say, I can't make it to a meeting because I have my son here and granted, I could take him to a meeting with me. I could figure things out. And, you know, they always say, um, we, we would figure out a way to get to the bar if we wanted to make it to it, you know, um, however I'm doing something though. So if, if I can't make it to a meeting, you know, sitting here and doing an interview, talking about sobriety and recovery and running for 80 minutes with an absolutely super cool person, guess what? That's 80 minutes that neither of us picked up a drink. Because we're on video. Neither one of us have picked up a drink. This is accountability. <laughs> and, and so it's, these are the cool things that it's, it's just unbelievable. That's, that's coffee. I know that's coffee. It's funny. It was like Pavlov's dog. The moment that you, uh, the moment you men mentioned picking up a drink, it's like, well, here's my other addiction now, my addiction replacement. All right. So um, I don't want to get too far off track here. Cause I know you, you have a very strict schedule as well. Cause you have little ones and we have about 19 minutes exactly left. Um, so before we get to that point again, um, I want to get back into the podcast. Do you have sure. any, do you have any, uh, special guests lined up? And I don't want to say special cause a lot of us are just like normal ass people, um, <laughs> but do you have anything specifically like, tell us like the, the, the podcast, is it always an interview? Like the one I heard, is there a lot of different stuff going on? Is well, Hey, I'm going to, I want to back up for a moment. And I want to tell you that this Corey Harrington episode and the one before it sound extremely polished. Um, and it's because after doing this for like four months, I just, I, I completely like reassessed what we were doing because originally we were doing a live stream show every Tuesday night. And I was stripping the audio from that and turning it into a podcast. So when you listen to the first nine episodes, you're going to hear that it is not as polished. The audio sucks. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of, you know, scrambled, you know, digitized, uh, you know, audio. Um, so finally I sat down and I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, this is stressing me out. We'll do a show and then I'll watch it after the fact. And I hate how it turned out. Like, I think it's great live and then it doesn't sound right. And so she looked at me and she's like, do you, do you really want to keep doing the live stream show? I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, no, I don't now that you mention it. So, so we, so I really did, you know, dial in on the podcast and I coughed up the, the 20 bucks a month to get my, I use Squadcast, uh, which is browser-based. And what's slick about it is when I record, it records two channels. So if there's anything that, ha yeah, so I've got my channel and the guest channel. So when I produce it in Audacity, if I need to you know, fix anything, I have that freedom. So I, I see like the light bulb going on. You like that? Dude. I, this might be my last interview on zoom. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it costs a little bit of money, but the, the, you know, you, you get what you pay for, man. 
20 uh, bucks a month though i can live with that like this, yeah oh my goodness oh, yeah, it, literally like there's so many light bulbs popping this is oh man this is so cool so i mean that's where like i did this Corey harrington episode and like i got done with it and i just cried you know i cried for for Corey and his story and how much it resonated but I also cried because it was like, holy shit, I have a podcast I can actually be proud of because I don't know if you go through this, but I have a really hard time giving myself credit for anything like you complimenting me like my skin was crawling because like I as much as I long for acknowledgement and as much as I'm a people pleaser, the moment that somebody compliments me, I get like insecure and crap. It's something something I'm working on. It's, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's, it's weird. So when I finished that episode, I was like, holy shit, I actually have something here. Um, and so I took that episode and I started, I started shopping it out. And, you know, I started reaching out to people who I want to have on the show who, um, now that I had like a recruiting tool uh, to, to treat it at its very fundamental level, it was like, okay, now I feel confident enough that I can start going after some big fish. That said, like, I try to get a wide range of perspectives. Um, like at the end of this month, I'm going to have the local women's shelter director on because I want to talk to her about how mental illness impacts, you know, the, the clients that they serve on a, on a daily basis who have been stuck in abusive relationships and, and haven't been able to find their way out of that vicious cycle. So we're going to have her on. I'm going to have a gut doctor on, like a gastroenterologist, whatever in the bloody hell the title is, because she wants to talk about the liver and how amazing the liver is, which we as alcoholics, uh, recovering alcoholics, we cherish the liver perhaps more than any other organ. Um, so yeah, we're going to have people on celebrating sobriety anniversaries. Um, two episodes ago, I had on my buddy Dominic, who was the first guy I met in treatment. And he celebrated two years. And so we had him on. We rang the cowbell. Dominic, happy birthday, brother. Oh, he, he, is, he is the man. And, you know, he was, a, he was a, a, a speed freak. And so his story was a little bit different from mine, but they also align in a lot of ways. So I really wanted to, I mean, again, everybody's going to take their own approach, but I, I didn't want to just talk to people in long-term recovery or just runners. It was like, you know, let's cast a wide net. Yeah, absolutely. Because for me, like these things that we're talking about, it touches on everything. Um, addiction, mental illness, toxic masculinity, all that crap, all this stuff dovetails together. So why, why, why limit us or why, why limit, you know, our audience when everybody can take something from our message. Right. I agree with you. And that's, that's kind of like the, um, the line I took when I started staying fit, uh, ODAAT as well, because it was kind of along the same lines. Like if I'm being honest, the first day I created it, like in my mind, it was like, all right, alcoholic runners. But then I was like, all right, well, um, not everybody that deals with, uh, you know, not every runner who has an addiction issue is specifically alcohol. You know, there might be drug addicts, there might be mental health issues, anxiety, depression, whatever the case may be. And then I was like, oh, wait, well, if they're not all alcoholics, then maybe not all people dealing with these issues are also runners. Like maybe they're CrossFitters, maybe they're swimmers, maybe they're cyclists, maybe they're yoga 
um, yogis, I believe is the term they like to use, uh, you know, and whatever. And if, 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 if someone has some type of fitness skill that I left out there, I I'm very, very sorry. I'm definitely not intending to offend. And if you have a skill that I've never heard of, please come join the group and share it with us. Um, because the only requirement in staying fit Oda is the desire to quit whatever was lingering on you and replace it with health and fitness. That is, that is the only requirement. If you're an alcoholic, the only requirement is to try to not drink and get out and do something healthy. If, if you deal with depression, it's to try not to get buried in your thoughts and go for a swim, do something. And, and so like, I think you hit on there cause it's like, it's not just one specific type of person. I'm an alcoholic runner. Um, you might be a drug addict swimmer and, and, and it's just those, that's just the blunt truth. And I want everybody to join together. So I think it's really, really cool that you're using um, your platform as well. And it's not just for athletes. You're, you're picking a different spectrum and you have all around, you have athletes. I mean, like you said, you're going to have doctors. I think one of the, one of them had a title of like psychiatrist. I don't know if that was like a, like, Oh yeah. I don't know if that was literal psychiatrist. It, it's, it's, were, it's, it's my psychiatrist now. And also too, I'm going to, if I'm not mistaken, did I see that name twice? Like, was there like a one-on-one -on -one interview with her? And then did you get a, is this other episode a different point of view as your psychiatrist? Is that what yeah, it, well, I had her on in the first episode because the intention was, you know, it, one of the things that, that holds people back is that they don't want to ask for help. And there's like, when I was, uh, when I was working as a hockey broadcaster in Muskegon, Michigan, like I remember the first time I went and saw a psychiatrist, like I crept through the parking lot. Like I wanted to like, you know, pull like my, my jacket over my head because I could not bear the idea. Like Muskegon is a huge hockey town. Like people there live, eat and breathe hockey. So it was like, I couldn't bear for them to think that the broadcaster for the local hockey team had, you know, was crazy and that he had mental issues. So for me, it was important to bring Jada on right off the back. Cause it was like, we're going to attack the stigma surrounding getting help and getting therapy. So we had her on right off the bat. And then we brought her back again because she is, she's started up a, a program of her own, an eight week program um, to help people like, you know, break down anxiety in their life and to live like a purpose, a purpose driven life. The original intention was to have her on like every three months because I see her once every three months. So we were just going to like have her come on and we could just keep unpacking the stuff that we talked about in our most recent session. That's so cool. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if we'll keep doing that merely on account of the fact that, uh, um, and look, I, like I looked down my calendar and it's like, shoot, I'm running out of spots. Yeah, you are a busy man. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I'm considering, I'm actually considering going into twice weekly, but it's like, this is the problem that I get into though. Is like, I, if I allow myself, I will work myself to death. So I need to, I need to avoid being my own worst enemy. And I think but. we always got to remind ourselves too, to, to find the balance, um, you know, especially for us, for us married men and yes. fathers as well. Um, because I, I know, and I, I just recently went through this and I had to take a step back a little bit. And it's kind of why um, even right now I'm spending just a little bit more time at home now that my last marathon is over. Um, because like you said, our, our wives, um, huge support system. So not only do they have our back um, when I quit drinking, but she also has my back because she knows how much running means to me. So she takes on extra tasks at home, making sure that the house is 
clean and and our son is taken care of so i can go out there and get a three or four hour run if i need to on long run day and stuff like that um so i i think it's important as well to sometimes dial back and spend a little extra time and remind them because quite frankly if 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 we spend too much time focusing on everything else except that then yeah we might be doing a lot of positive for the community and for other people but we're right back to hurting and leaving behind the people that really had our back um so that, I think it's a really important balance to find in between there oh you couldn't be more right you know it's like it's it, again it's addiction replacement right um like if i'm not careful i'm going to be back to being a deadbeat dad again uh so yeah it, it really kind of struck me yesterday um, and, and it's kind of been striking me this week where it's like, oh shit, I haven't been unloading the dishwasher. And yesterday, you know, I made the girls, you know, macaroni and cheese for lunch and Kayla gets home from work and the little bit that's, that's left is still sitting on the stove. Yeah, I'm infamous for that. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm, I'm not pulling, I'm not pulling my weight here. Exactly. Too. And then my wife is a saint. Like she won't say anything. She'll just come home. She'll do it. She'll clean it. And she won't say anything. And like a month will go by and then like, I'll be like, holy shit. Like, you know, but yeah. And, and again, super shout out to, to all the Kayla's to all the Mallory's out there again, without y'all, we ain't here. We ain't doing this. These interviews ain't happening because we just be hot messes. So thank y'all for holding us down. In that regard, I, I want to tease an episode that's coming up on April 20th. Um, there's a guy who lives nearby here. He was an ex-firefighter for 14 years. He was an Iraq war veteran, or he is an Iraq war veteran. And so he's seen some things, man. Like he, he described an incident where like there was a, there was a, a car bombing. And like when he went to like, try to save folks from it, like he pulled a child from the wreckage and it was just a gruesome sight. Um, so he has suffered some severe trauma and he ended up, I mean, he ended up just like completely withdrawing from his family and not treating his PTSD. And he ended up leaving the local fire department, um, not here, but his local fire department. And he just finally now won his pension case, his disability pension case, which is a huge victory for them. He's running 115K in May, the 115, um, a tribute to the 115 firefighters who committed suicide in 2019. What's his name? Ryan Maines. Um, you can look him up on Facebook. It's run for our lives. Is your, is, is his episode on your podcast going to be out before the run? I'm going to talk to him after. Okay. So I'm having him on after, and here I am like pumping him up and everything that he's doing. And I'm going to have his wife, Danielle on, on April 20th, because, okay. because of exactly what we're talking about. Yes. And again, I'm getting chills. I can't wait for that episode. You need to send me a little calendar reminder. <laughs> and I, I want to listen to that episode. Uh, I, actually, I might need to listen to that one before I let my wife listen to it, just in case I don't get myself in some trouble. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I might have to, I might have to do some secret editing. Uh, <laughs> just, just certain parts. I don't want her lending on the secrets. You know, I, I'm still, I'm still a jerk. I'm still a guy. I'm still a husband. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I'm totally just joking. Cause my wife is going to listen to this episode and then she's going to come down. So like three weeks from now, mark my words. When I send you a text and say it happened, um, that means that she just heard this episode and she's saying, well, which part are you going to edit out? Huh? <laughs> no, my wife's great i love it i love it um, that's that's good man so we only have uh, uh literally five minutes left here um so 
uh, take the next 60 seconds or so, replug the shit out of yourself, um, spell everything, say everything nice and slowly so everyone knows how to find you. All right. The website is 40,000steps.wordpress.com. You can go there and sign up for the free newsletter. Um, I regularly write in my blog, which I call the big blog. Um, and from there, you can find what you did there. Yeah, isn't that nice? Um, and from there, you can kind of find your way to everything else. But the podcast is called 40,000 Steps Radio. And just like your show, it's everywhere that you can find it. You know, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Do it on Google Podcasts right now. Nice. And then each morning, you can find me on Instagram at 40,000 underscore underscore steps. I have to, I have to negotiate with the person who did 40,000 steps or 40,000 underscore steps because of those people. I now have to use two underscores, but, but that's where you find me on Instagram Monday through Friday. I do a morning chat. And on Thursdays, we do a live interview. Usually it's with a guest who's coming up on the podcast so that we can kind of tease it and people get to know them and know what's coming down the pike. So yeah, 40,000 steps.wordpress.com. 40,000 steps radio well, you definitely at, a new subscriber today. Oh, cheers, man. And I only knew about the podcast before this interview. I didn't know there was a lot more to go with it. Yeah. And well, and the, that was what happened with sort of re-racking and getting rid of the live stream show. It was like, I like that live component and having the live interaction. And I was like, shit, I can do that on IGTV so easily. And for me, it's like, okay, just set up the phone, tap live away we go. Yep. Um, so I love that. I, I, I really, I really enjoy that forum. And look, I, I have this anchor gig where I freelance for a healthcare system down in Texas that pays me way too much money for, for what little I do or how easy it is for me to do. It's just puff pieces on what's happening in the system. So because I have that, it affords me all a lot of time to work on this stuff. So I know it sounds like it's a lot of like moving parts, but I am so freaking blessed to have for, for those sort of things to have come into my life that, 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 that helped the whole machine run. You know what I mean? Well, everything you're putting into it is definitely showing. Um, you can just see it on your face. Um, just you're, you're just oozing with, with <laughs> message and passing it on. And it's just, it, it, it speaks out, it shows out and dude, and, and just flat out your excitement, your, your actual, just genuine excitement. Like, I remember just like seeing that first Instagram message that you sent me. And it was just like, man, if there was like audio with it, like, I feel like I could hear you typing it. It was just like, Hey dude, so cool. I love the podcast. You had catcher. That's awesome. And it's just like, and I'm, I'm not trying to like mock your voice or anything like, but it's no, just like you could, that, that's, that's about right. You could totally just like hear. And I was just like, Oh man, I'm like smiling. While it was like one of those messages that you have to like read three times. Cause you know that it was like typed with excitement. Oh, it was man. just so cool. And so if you remember my response, it was just two words. Let's go. Yes, exactly. That's because that was the same. Like, like I said, I had to reprocess your message like three times and that's the energy I felt. So I gave back the same energy I got. Yeah. Um, but I, I can see you waving off. I can see your timer coming in on your <laughs> end as well. I, I can see, uh, I can take a hint here. Um, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we let you go, Christopher? Holy smokes. Oh boy. You know, I, I, th I think that we covered it pretty nicely. Um, really, I, I suppose the one thing that I, that I would tack on at the end is, you know, we, I've thrown a lot of website addresses and stuff at you, but 
if people simply need help immediately, you know, Google alcohol assessment, or if I can help in any way, just email 40,000 steps at gmail.com four zero 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 steps at gmail.com. I, that that's the paycheck for us. Like you talked about, man, anytime that we get a chance to help somebody else toward what we have, that's one hell of a day. Absolutely. Well, Hey, it was so much fun having you on the show today. I'm definitely glad to have you in the, um, in the Facebook group as well. Now a part of the community. Um, definitely feel free to start sharing your experience, strength, hope, start engaging with everybody on there. There's a lot of super cool, awesome people. Um, I think you were either like, I think you were a 501st or 502nd member this week. Um, we just hit over 500. So that's super, super cool. That is um, awesome, man. This has been so much fun and I can't thank you. It enough. really was. And we literally got down to the minute and you're man, it was so much fun talking to you. We could have kept going for another hour. I'm already thinking you might have to be the first guest to come back for a second. Episode hey, this was so much fun. Like I said, I could go for another hour, but I promise you, I would let you go at one o'clock. So I'm literally continuing rambling. Cause I see 1259 on my screen. So I just want to soak every <laughs> you're second squeezing out. Here, Christopher. Yeah. Soaking up. But in all seriousness, it was it was so much fun having you, brother. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your family. Um, all that we ask on our end is that you just continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time, brother. Love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odet. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.